Would you turn your Bibles back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? This week, uh, on Saturday, we complete um, 10 years of being here as an assembly, as a church. And I'm thankful to God for transformed lives, for renewed minds, for laboring hands, for hearts that are challenged, for a feet that is always shod with the preparation of the gospel. But I also recognize that that work is not done. There's still a lot of work to be done. The warfare continues. I mean, the, the warfare against principalities and powers of darkness, that continues. And that we need to be watchful, that lest we be tripped up. And because our desire is for all of us, for all of us, that we would be found conformed to the image of Christ. And that, and that till such time, the work is not done, the warfare continues, and that we stay watchful. And today, I really want us to bring our attention to this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the key verse that I want to take is from verse 10 on that part, which says, Let each one take care how he builds upon it. But if I were to, uh, if you were to ask me, what is your idea of a church? Like, what do you want of a church? I would say, I want the church to be like an Apple store. You know, the one that sells iPads and iPhones and, and uh, Macs. You see, I don't want it to be like a museum. I had the privilege of going into some museums these past couple of weeks. And, and what happens with the museum is that it's about the history. It's, uh, you know, it, it's the past. There's a celebration of the past. It says, you know, don't touch this, you know, stay away. That's roped off. That's what a museum is all about. In fact, I saw a piece of a rock that was, that was protected with bulletproof, uh, encased, encased in bulletproof. Uh, that's how they protect things of the past and their celebration of the past. That's a museum. And I don't want it to be a mausoleum where it's about the dead. Where you walk in and very respectful, you don't talk, you, don't, you know, everybody is very somber. But it's about the dead. I don't want it to be a mausoleum. I don't want it to be like a stadium. Oh, I know, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, this year's doubles, women's doubles, as the match was going on, there was this, uh, I want to call him the court consultant, calling out from the, from the, from the uh, stands how to do. And so he gets invited in. You should see that. This is a, it's just on YouTube. Um, and uh, because Wimbledon has got this uh, thing of marrying, making them wear white, he, he's made to wear a skirt and a top, and then he's supposed to return a, a serve. But really what is happening is, is that there are few who work and the rest who watch, and that's what a stadium is. But when you go to an Apple store, and I'm, I want you to be aware, and you walk into an Apple store, there's some life about it. There's, everybody is involved. There's an engagement. Everybody's handling something. It's not put away in boxes. They're not just looking and say, all right, I want that. But they've, they've got it. They, 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 they handle it. 
a church that is involved. And, and, and so in that sense, I, I pray that our church will continue to be the one that engages not just the head, but also the heart through the, the feet and the hands and all of that. But that we would be a serving church. And that's my prayer. That's what I want to uh, bring us, bring our attention to, saying that church is not just um, an activity. But as I was meditating on chapter 3, I realized that it's, it's something of a participation where each of us encourage and strengthen each other. Just as a review, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, we saw that uh, about being the church of God. We saw that we saw how that, that church was not written off. And then we saw that we want to be a church of being a Christ-centric church. It's that if we are not bearing the cross, then we are carrying the scepter. That each of us are to carry the cross. If we don't do that, then, then we have the scepter in our hand. And so may the cross never lose its crucifying power in our lives. And we said we want to be about a maturing church, a church that is on a spiritual diet of meat, not just be satisfied with milk, that wants to grow. And so today we come to chapter 3, and the key verse for us is chapter 10, that second part which says, let each one take care how he builds on it. Now I know I said the the church, my imagery of a church is like an apple store, but what Paul gives is he gives three imageries in chapter 3. And uh, the three imageries, as we read through, I'll quickly touch on the ministry and on the goal so we get a context to what chapter 3 is all about. So verses 1 to 4, the church is like a family, like a family. In verse 2, it says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. And so the ministry of a family is to feed. Now, when you have little kids, we want them fed we want, because they, they don't seem to feed on their own and so that they can be fed in a healthy, nourishing diet. And, and the goal is maturity so that they would grow. They would grow well. So that's the first picture that we get. And then in verse 5 to verse 9, the first part, the church is a field. It's a field. For we are all, verse 9, for we are all God's fellow workers and you are God's field. Now the ministry out here is about planting. It's about growth. Uh, growing in terms of quantity and just so that we would, we would be like that field that will flourish. And verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So there's the family, there's the field, and today we're looking at the temple. Verse 9 to verse 23, what we read today, and verse 16 especially, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? When I look at the temple, this First Corinthians was written around... AD 56. 
the construction of the temple, if you remember in John 2, the disciples were saying it's been taking 46 years building this temple, and the construction was still going on. Construction is always messy. Construction requires, you know, uh, steel-toed shoes, safety shoes, and, and safety hats, a hard hat. And Paul is saying that, do you not know you are a temple, God's temple? But then you might ask me a question, like, how do I know that Paul is referring to a church here when he says you're a temple? How do you know it's the church? You know that in verse chapter 6, again, also he mentions about you are a temple. And there he's talking about the Christian, the believer, as the temple. But in chapter 3, when you look at the context, we looked, you know, how we looked at chapter 3. When you look at the context, and then when you look at grammatical, the way it's written, but the temple is singular and you is plural, and you put it together, you realize that Paul is saying that we, the church, the local church in this case, is the temple of God, where there's construction, where there's building that is happening. So I want us to, I want us to think that, all right? I mean, I want us to realize that there is labor, there's work, there's things that are done, it's messy, we sometimes need these steel-toed shoes and a safety hat. It's not um, a picnic by the beach. That's what church is. So let's go back to that verse, and I want us to go through it in four ways, all right? So each man with a command, take care, is the care, and how he build the content, and upon it, which is Christ, the foundation. So first, the command, each man or each woman, I want us to understand church life and church service is not optional, each man, they have to build. You see, the essence of God being built in God's image means that there's relationship. There is connectedness. And, you know, when, when God said it's not good for man to be alone, yes, in that context he was talking about how he brings him into a marriage relationship, but we are built as social beings. And so what fall had taken away from Adam and Eve, what Christ restores, restores us back not just to where Adam and Eve were, but much higher, but that intrinsic need for community is most highlighted within the church. It's in the church that you begin to, to feel that, that the greatest hunger being met. John Wesley says, Christianity is not a religion for solitude and solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You see, what it is is our American individualism has highlighted personal relationship. We say that I know Jesus as my personal Savior, and that's enough. But I want us to recognize that Though we come, we've said this again and again, though we come as individuals into the family, we come into a family. We come into a field that is being, that needs, that, that needs to grow, where there is growth, and as, as a temple that's being built. And so 
why do we find church to be a chore? Why do we find it difficult? Why do we struggle in a church? Well, I think it's because of people. If church weren't about people, it would have been much easier. But people make it difficult. And yet, God in his sovereign will has intended that it's through people that we are built up. It's, it's the recognition when we come together to work, we realize that the other person is so different from us and the needs are very different. And that the exhibition of grace is possible because when I see the other person so different from myself, I recognize I've received grace, such grace, that I have to now offer grace to the other person. It must begin in the household of faith. You see, we talk about fellowship. We, we, you know, that's one of the words that we throw around. Let's have fellowship. But fellowship sometimes is more like a, like a get-together, a, a, you know, a time around, uh, around a meal. But let me read to you what John Ortberg, in his book, Real Understanding of Fellowship, writes. He says, it really is a word where... Um, rivers of living water between one person and another... And we cannot live without you. It really is a word for flow of rivers of living water between one person and another, and we cannot live without it. What that means is, I'm not sure if you've been to where the rivers begin. If you go up to the uh, fork of the credits, you will see that um, th there's a spring there where the river starts. And you look at that and it says, well, that's it. That's what uh, Credit River is all about and, or any of the rivers that you might have seen. Then you begin to realize that it's not that one spring that feeds into that river. There are multiple springs. And as a church, that is what God is saying, that you come together, we, we, we come because God's spirit is in us, like the living waters that flow out. But then we all come together and it becomes that mighty river. The mighty river flowing out. That is what fellowship is. That's what church is. But then we balk at the work that is there because, you know, I was, th I was listing out three things that might happen. One, we say, oh, there's no point. There's no point in working because, you know, what's the, what's the point? Uh, it doesn't make any difference. Or second, we might say there's too much work. It's just too much work. We've tried, we've tried, but nothing seems to be happening. Or we might just say, oh, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. You know what? I'm just going to be indifferent. But I want us to understand that this is a command from the Lord. And that any dropping out is a disobedience to the charge that God has given, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let each man and woman. And always remember this one thing, that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I will build the church. And we have the privilege to come alongside, to be the co-laborers with him, to build and to, and, and to work. So we don't look, see, the, the reward is greater than the risk. I want us to understand that. 
The thing about this, this, this labor, about the, the difficulty, is nothing compared to the reward of co-laboring with God. When the Lord Jesus Christ says he will build his church, he will build his church. And we have the joy of building with him. John Piper writes it well. He says, Jesus does not promise that he will build his school or that he will build his co-op or build his medical clinic or build his university or build his social service agency. As good as they all are, he promises with absolute authority, I will build my church. And the privilege that we have is to join in in this construction work so that it will be complete. The command. But then look also at take care, the second part of that, which is take care, the care with which we need to work on that. If you will turn with me to verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. I'll come back, we'll touch on that. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Now, I want you to understand that there are four references to this day. This day. Um, the four references... This is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. So turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 and 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother for you? Why do you despise your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. And then the second one, as we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, and 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God and, and also turn to this. This is really interesting. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear in the context. I want you to understand that this is about the believers, not this is not just the world. This is the believers. So, so what is this judgment seat of Christ? It's important that we understand that. And if it's for the believers, I thought, you know, there's no more judgment. But, it, but there is this judgment seat of Christ that has been said four times. And I want you to understand that this is not the judgment seat as a sinner. We are not being judged as a sinner. That judgment was already laid on the cross on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be judged as a sinner. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, For there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I am not to be condemned as a sinner. But it's also not talking about the judgment as a son. In Hebrews chapter 12, 
it says in verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So I'm not being judged as a sinner. This is not talking about judgment as a son because it says that, that this is a pres- present thing that he takes me through. He, te- he disciplines me as he walks. And, and verse 10 says the reason why he does this so that I may share in his holiness. Chapter 12, verse 10 of Hebrews. For they disciplined us for a short time, that's our parents, but as it seemed best to them, but he, that is God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So it's not judgment as a sinner that was in the past. It's not about the judgment and the present as a son so that I can share on his holiness, but this is in the future a judgment as a servant. Servant. And the way we can best understand this is when we create the differentiation, just for understanding, between the Father's house and the kingdom. In the Father's house, I'm invited as a son. There's no judgment. I'm invited to come in. Judgment has passed. I am coming home. But in the kingdom, I'm a servant. I'm a steward. And the work that I do will be rewarded. And I have to stand to give an account. I want us to understand that distinction. So, not the sinner, not the son, but as a servant. And in that context about the reward, in that context, I want, us, I want you to listen to three things that happens with rewards. The first, that our works will be rewarded. Our works will be rewarded. It's not about salvation, but about stewardship. I want you to understand this as a servant, as, as his servant, our works will be re- rewarded. And the second, I want you to understand that we will lose our rewards if we are not careful. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, but also turn with me to Galatians chapter, chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. Turn also to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Colossians chapter 2, Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up. Um, I think I got the verse wrong in that. But it speaks about don't let anybody beguile you or bewitch you and take away your reward. Take away your reward. You see, so... Rewards, I'll be rewarded for my work. I can lose my reward. But the third thing about the reward is each one's reward will be different. It's not the same. Second Corinthians 5.10, which says each rewarded according to the work that is done, whether good or evil. And, and so you might ask a question, like how is it possible that in heaven that I can be happy if someone else is getting more than me? How can I have joy? Because, and I want you to understand that it's not about comparison. It's about capacity. 
I was at uh, Gio's house the other day, and Timothy was playing with the earth mover. You know, he has this toy truck. And, and they play around, but imagine taking that to work one day, and you want to move earth using that. If you have this big crane dumping all the earth onto that toy, it's going to crush it. Well, you can just take whatever the capacity is. God will give you an abundance to your capacity. will be overflowing. Uh, will be pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. God would not be, uh, God would be unkind if he were to load us with responsibilities or rewards more than we are trained or prepared for. And so I want us to understand that our starting point here is the con- uh, a, start, a starting point there is the concluding point here. Matthew chapter 25, 21 says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. And so as a servant, there is this issue, or this matter of reward. But let's hold on as we go back to that Verse in First Corinthians chapter three, verse ten, uh, we talk about the content, how he built the latter, the next part of it, which says how he built. In First Corinthians chapter three, verse twelve, it says, "If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw," we read that many times, and we keep keep asking, like, what is it? Uh, there are people who give. Uh, spiritual meaning to those, and I, I want to avoid that. I uh, really don't want to get into giving spiritual meaning to it. But if I were to to compare, because it's being tested, and that there is fire, and it's going to burn up, I want to say A, B, C, D. First is appropriateness. B is beauty. C is cost, and D is durability. A, appropriateness. What that means is, um, you know, in, in David in First Chronicles chapter 22, he, he speaks about all the things that he laid up in building of the temple. He speaks about the gold and the silver and the iron and the bronze, but he, he didn't lay up any hay or straw or stubble. And then there's beauty. You see, gold, silver, precious stones, you make, uh, they speak to us about beauty. And this cost, the sacrifice, and David did that, and, and he charges people in First Corinthians chapter, Chronicles 22, he speaks about, and I want to charge you all to give sacrificially. Uh, a building must cost. Christ, who is building the church, he, it cost him his life. And he calls us to build. And D is durability. The things that last. Hear what Dr. Campbell Morgan has to say. You can find wood, hay, and stubble in your backyard. And it will not take too much effort to pick it up. But if you want gold, silver, and jewels, you have to dig for them. Construction is hard labor. It's difficult. You and I, in our own strength, we will, we, will, we will balk at the work that there is to construct, to, to co-labor. 
I just love the way this, this whole episode ends. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's, sorry, it's not the end. In chapter 15, verse 58. Verse 58, 15-58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord, sorry, your labor is not in vain. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your work is not in vain. Now, two things that come to my mind here. Now, we spoke about this on Friday too. Size doesn't matter. It's not the size, it's not the, the, the greatness of the work that you do, but in little things, faithful in little things, but laboring. And the attitude, because in Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, 17, it says, as you do it unto the Lord, as you do it unto the Lord. If I do to please someone else, we will always fall short. We will never get appreciated. We'll never get thanked. We might not get all of those things that we seek for will never happen. But when you do it in the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So I want to bring this. How do I how do I build? Right? That's important. That's the question that we're asking. Like, we're, we're talking about all this. I understand it's, it's a command. We have to be part of it. We understand it's difficult. And it, it requires investment. It requires uh, this, this uh, uh, involvement. It could be expensive. We get all that. But what do I do? Let me give you five verses that I'm going to read out to you. All right? Five verses. Again, it's A, B, C, D, E. It's easy to remember. A, B, C, D, and E. The first one, if you will turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. It talks about accountability. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. Accountability. Be a provoker of good things. Be a provoker of good things. That's what it is. Let us consider how to stir up. In some of your translation, it says how to provoke. You know, the Hebrew writer is actually using a negative word for a positive outcome. To provoke. Like, you know, it's like the cattle prod. Just, you know, keep pushing and, 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 and provoking. Let us consider how to stir up one another to to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, importance to be held accountable and to hold the other person accountable. And that is how we can, one way that we can build each other up. And I know in the translation, one of the translations actually uses the word build up. But then you have the second one. 
Uh, turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. It's about bearing up. If A is accountability, B is bearing up. A life that is lived to build up the weak. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. And, and let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. There you see the verse in verse 2. For Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproach me fell on me. So accountability, bearing up. And then you have C. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Well, turn there, please, with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. This is about conversation. Grace-filled conversations. Grace-filled conversation. Let no corrupting talk come out from your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. There it goes again. But such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Accountability, bearing up, and conversation. Turn with me now to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It's about uh, doctrinal teaching and admonishing and how through the systematic teaching of God's word in the church, at home, even as you meet one-on-one, that your conversation would be about building up through the word of God. So let the word of God, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and, and thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. So your conversation would be uh, about the word of Christ, dwelling in you richly, teaching and admonishing. And the last one, the E, is in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11, which is about encouragement. We, we encourage, we build up through encouragement. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing. That we will build each other up through encouragement. A building project that God has called us to when it gets difficult, A, B, C, D, E, accountability, bearing up, conversation, doctrinal teaching, and encouragement. And that we take care to build that makes a difference, our investments and our intentions, that there is, there is labor and then there is cost. I mean, it, it's so much so that we, we recognize that this is the thing that stays for eternity, 
Haggai says it so well in, in uh, chapter 1 verse 4. It says, is a time for yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. And what, wh- how do I understand it? This is what I say. Sometimes we've given the very best of ourselves to the world that we don't have anything left for God and for God's people. We have invested gold, silver, precious stones in building things here which are temporal. And yet the only thing that lasts is this what Christ is building, which is the church of God. That chapter in First Corinthians chapter 3 goes on to talk about, um, about something else very, very seriously. In verse 17, it says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will also destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. A constable gives a very strong warning. He says, against taking the church lightly and destroying it with world's wisdom. It's not about loss of salvation. I want you to understand because the word, uh, you know, the various usages in the Bible, you can say it talks about the ruin. It's about corruption. It's being led astray. But I want us to understand that we need to be careful how we build. That we take care how we build. Our willingness to be held accountable, our willingness to hold others accountable, our willingness to bear with those who are weak and be willing to be borne up when we are weak, that our conversation is grace-filled and our, our, our words that we share with each other is the word of Christ and that we would encourage each other and that, that we would be built up, that we would be built up. Or upon it, which is Christ, the foundation. In verse 11 it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only foundation. Every other ground is sinking sand. We sing that song, right? It's the gospel foundation on which our salvation is laid, and we are called to build on that. We are called to build on that and and what Paul is doing is warning us he says we can either build well to receive rewards on that day or we might build with compromise that leads to failure the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 he speaks about the two kinds of people the wise and the foolish the wise who builds on the rock and the foolish who builds by the sand. And what they face is the same storm. What they hear is the same word. What they do is construct. But where they build is the difference. And he says, The Lord Jesus Christ says, the one who built on the rock is the one who heard and practiced and did. Not the one who just heard and gave an excuse or just thought it's okay. But he acted on it. 
my rel, my um, my desire for all of us is that we'd be like this wise builder, building on the truths of God's word, building each other up. I remember reading a story of a of a brother-in-law who uh, who told um, of a man who told his brother-in-law to construct uh, to to make a building while he's gone. And this brother-in-law starts to build, but he starts to c- cut corners. He has been given a budget. He knows, you know, he can cut corners. But it won't be evident. And when this man comes back, the beautiful house is all set. And this man says, well, this is really good. I want to give it to you. That's when this man recognizes what a fool he has been. We as a church may be going through a construction phase. But we pray that we will build as he has commanded that we will build as ones who will invest with our intention as we serve Christ and Christ alone. That he to whom cost us life as he is the one who builds his church and invites us to participate, that we can build each other up through accountability, through bearing up, through graceful communications, through the word of Christ and through encouragement. And I pray that if you are challenged, I'm going to ask that this would be the challenge I want to, want to lay, that we will decide that we will build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And that we would recognize that Christ is worth it and what he is building into is worth it. And that it is our privilege. Nothing short. Let's take some time and we just pray. Father God, we we are so thankful for your son. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. Thank you that he is waiting for his enemies to be vanquished till there is no one else and every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But today we have the privilege as your blood-bought children, 
as ones who believe that there is no other one in this world, in this whole wide universe, who can save us the way he saved us, who can win our hearts the way he has. And to call him our Lord, our Savior today, not out of compulsion as on that day, but with joy. Forgive us, Lord, our, our, our unfaithfulness, our frailties which have often trumped your, uh, uh, brought a cloud over all that you've been to us. And we pray, Lord, we pray that we will decide today and reaffirm again and again and again that this is a great work. The only work that will ever last for eternity. And that we will build with gold, silver, precious stones that are... Uh, that, that we will remember, Lord, that the things that we can build with, with each other, those among us who are in need, those among us who are hurting, those among us, Lord, who, who are desperate for community, and yet, Lord, we, 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 we seem to not be able to do it in our own strength. Would you, Lord, would you, would you help us, Lord? Would you show us how we can build that this Community of faith would be found to be built up in love, grounded in love, as we read in Philip in Ephesians. We thank you that that would be, Lord, our our desire. That none of us here, Lord, none of us would would ever have to hear, O wicked servant. But we'd all be commended for the good work, the faithfulness. And there's any among us, Lord, who, who, who doesn't know what it means to be part of your family, part of, part of knowing you as the father, part of, part of being the field which has been grown and part of being the temple that, that has been built up. We pray, would you speak into their hearts? Would they know, Lord, that there is no other name given whereby men can be saved, men or women, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that trusting him for the work that was complete on the cross that they would have the joy of having him as the Lord and the Savior, and that we together, therefore, Lord, can build each other up and, and wait with eager expectation towards the time when you would return. And that it will be indeed a joy when you come, because we've been faithful. We want to be faithful, Lord. We want to be faithful. So thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you, Lord. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen.